Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, August 25th, we are studying Lamentations chapter 4, verses 12 to 22. The Lord's judgment against Judah and Jerusalem has come about due to the sins of her prophets and her priests, as well as the people's vain trust in the help of man. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Joel Hawk. Pastor Hawk serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Rochester, Minnesota. Pastor Hawk, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It's good to be with you again, Pastor Apple. As we get started this morning, Pastor, let's talk a little bit, a bit of context. We're in the second half of Lamentations 4. Anything about the book of Lamentations, what we read yesterday, that's going to help us with the verses we've got for today? Um, yeah, I think the the idea that, you know, although there's other causes and things that uh, bring about uh, the destruction of Judah and Jerusalem at this point, um, from an earthly perspective, uh, this is, you know, all um, God's doing. It's His work, His uh, you know, anger and wrath over sin, His will and actions are the ultimate uh, a cause, if you will, of Jerusalem's downfall. Um, he certainly uses the military might and ruthlessness of the Babylonians, uh, but this is uh, you know, the Lord's work, his, his alien work of, uh, of crushing and destroying, uh, hoping to uh, once again bring his people to repentance. Right. We, we talked about that yesterday and at several points, that the Lord is the one responsible for what is happening. Jeremiah, the book of Lamentations, makes no qualms about saying it that way, and we should say it that way as well. This is the Lord's doing, and yet the people go to him in that lamentation, in that mourning, because he alone is their help. So we're going to get more of that today, more of this lamenting over the destruction of Jerusalem in particular. That seems to be in focus here in Lamentations chapter 4, and we are picking up at verse 12. Let's read. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. They wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people cried at them. Away, away, do not touch. So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests, no favor to the elders. Our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation which could not save. They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were numbered, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. 
But to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins. That's our text for today. That's Lamentations 4, verses 12 through 22. Pastor Rock, in that first verse of our text, in verse 12, what it seems to be describing is that the king, even other kings of the earth, they didn't think that Jerusalem could fall. Where, where did that thought come from? Um, perhaps it came from, uh, you know, even a common memory of uh, the, a miraculous de- deliverance, uh, like we read in, in Hezekiah's day, uh, in Second Kings 19, uh, Jerusalem was surrounded by Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, um, the strongest uh, military uh, might in the region at the time, and uh, yet the Lord miraculously uh, saved the city, as we read in Second Kings uh, 19. He says, I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. Uh, so if this had become known, uh, again, that uh, that the Lord, uh, Yahweh, had uh, delivered his people, had brought about this miraculous deliverance, um, that uh that this would be uh, known and uh, people would uh, realize or, or at least believe, uh, wow, this God is uh, faithful to protect this city. Um, even the, the strongest military might uh, is no match for this, uh, this God of the Israelites. Uh, so it's, uh, it would take something spectacular or, or even be impossible for, uh, for a foe or enemy to, to enter Jerusalem's gates if this is the God who protects it. I mean, certainly the Lord has made a name for himself among the peoples around Israel. He'd been doing that since the exodus in Egypt. That was the point of the exodus in Egypt, or one of the points, was to show the Egyptians who he was. And he's been doing that, as you said, in many ways, particularly that account with Hezekiah does stand out. And so, right, so even the kings of the earth would have been surprised at the fall of Jerusalem. But I think, you know, as reading through particularly the book of Jeremiah recently, it seems that the people of Judah had a similar presumption that had some theological backing, perhaps, but they always seemed to misunderstand or maybe misapply the theological backing of some of those promises that the Lord makes in Jerusalem. So it seems like the peace, the people of Judah had a similar uh, misunderstanding, uh, like in verse 12, that the kings of the earth also had. Right, yes, that they, they too knew that God's name dwelled in Zion. Uh, he had established his dwelling place in Jerusalem. His name was great. Um, they, they remember the promise uh, here of Hezekiah in Hezekiah's day, God would do this for his own sake, for the sake of my servant David. Um, they, they remembered uh, that uh, the temple was God's dwelling place. Uh, but they, uh, they, they forgot that behind all of that uh, at all times, also the context of God's desire for repentance, and a uh, true faith, uh, seeking God's uh, true glory in His name on on Hezekiah's part, you know, to, to bring that one specific example um, up again that this was not uh, done in a vacuum. But Hezekiah had turned to the Lord, uh, confessed uh, the sins of the people, uh, sought the Lord's help, and and did what the Lord had uh, called him to do, and and uh, not fighting, not shooting an arrow out against the army, uh, but just uh, standing there waiting for the Lord uh, to work and to to act. Uh, certainly the uh, uh, the, the temple uh, was certainly a, a big uh, 
uh, a big idea in the eyes of the, the people. This was God's dwelling place here in Jerusalem. And so if we have the temple, um, right, there was this idea, if we have the temple, uh, we'll be fine because God is with us. He's, uh, he's promised to be here. He is, uh, this is his house. Um, but in some ways, they either forgot or misunderstood or just misapplied um, even Solomon's uh, statement and prayer at the dedication of the temple um, that uh, in, in 1 Kings 8, uh, he said, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Uh, they, they forgot or that they can maybe realize and misapplied that God had, had chosen that place for his name and his glory. Uh, but that was also wrapped up and God desired there also the true and right worship of him, a true uh, regard for his word, faith in his name, faith and trust in his promises. It was, uh, you know, this was not some magic location. God himself was not automatically bound to a place. Uh, he certainly binds himself by promise and his word to uh, different places at different times to be received in faith according to um, his word and direction. Uh, but we should not uh, take that into presumption. Uh, you know, I think even of our uh, houses of worship today, our, our churches, our sanctuaries, uh, you know, what is what is special about them? It's, it's the God we go there to worship, the God we go there to receive um, in faith. Uh, it's, it's not the, the place itself, it's that we've set it apart as a place to um, hear and receive God's Word and be brought to true repentance and faith. So uh, we, we, we have the similar danger and temptation these days of thinking, well, if we have this place, if we have this uh, uh, these things um, about us, uh, well, then we're fine. But uh, as God reminds us throughout Scripture, um, he, he looks at the heart. Uh, and, and so where is our heart uh, in receiving God and His gifts and His promises uh, where he's where he's promised to be, we can trust his sure and certain promises that he will be uh, where he says he will be, as we seek him in faith and with a true and right understanding, guided by the Holy Spirit. Um, and, Solomon had all. Well, I was just gonna just real quick because I, I think that this is a I think this is an important point for us today because we we have that same temptation as the people of Judah and Jerusalem to make make presumptions upon God. I think that's a good way of putting it. it. When he makes his promise, we should hold him to his promise, but not in a way that somehow, as if we are forcing his hand. He's, and I think you said it this way, he's the one that has chosen to locate himself in certain places. And so we should expect him to do that, but not in a way that if I can, if I can use the the Latin term that sometimes our, our confessions use, you know, ex opere operata, that just by the work worked, as if we go through the motions and that somehow forces God's hand, as if he's some kind of vending machine. That's that's not faith. Faith looks at God's promises and holds on to God's promises. And the people of Judah in Jeremiah's day were not doing that. They saw the temple just as sort of a, a magical building of sorts that provided this defense for them that couldn't be assailed regardless of the way they were living, regardless of what they actually believed about the Lord. And so the Lord, you know, in the fall of Jerusalem shows them that in fact, he is the God over all. He's the one that has chosen to locate himself there. And if he chooses not to, because his people are rebelling against him, he can do that because he does remain the Lord. And, and so for us today that we would do well, to keep in mind, these are the places that God has chosen to locate himself among us. We should cling to those things because they have his promise, not because somehow we force God to do that or something like that. If, if we have that idea, then 
you know, we're going to run into this kind of idolatry, the same sort of presumption upon God that the people of Judah had, and, and Jeremiah had called them to repent. Sorry, I interrupted you, but that I thought fantastic thought there, Pastor Hawk. Yeah, no, that, that's uh, that's exactly the case. Yeah, we, we look to God where His promises are, uh, but uh, but we, we receive that there, there's a faith that looks there at 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 the God whose word and promise are behind. Uh, the things he gives us to to hold on to, uh, to to up the places to meet him in his word, his sacraments. Uh, we we cling to God there, but we cling to God there, uh, and not the the things themselves, and certainly not the vessels that deliver uh, the things. You know, the whether it's the specific chalice or the specific baptismal font, even uh, we we hold to the God who worked there and works there and has promised to do that, uh, but not the items or the things themselves. Uh, as you said, that that leads to idolatry and to a, even a sort of magical thought that if I have this this item or this talisman, uh, then uh, then God is you know kind of yeah his hand is forced and God God's hand is never forced uh, by by anyone other than His own uh, word and promise. Uh, Solomon's you know, Solomon's prayer and, and blessing upon Israel at the temple dedication, uh, you know again just to remind us that God's looking at the heart. Um, it, it's very it's very striking uh, that the people have kind of moved so far away from. Uh, the true understanding that Solomon uh, places in and upon uh, them and the temple um, as he kind of wraps things up in First Kings 8. He says, May God not leave us or forsake us, but he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine, with which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night. May he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, that there is no other. So Solomon wanted God's name to be uh, known among the nations uh, through uh, the worship of the temple. And then he wraps up uh, this with, to the people. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes, keeping his commandments as at this day. Uh, so connected with true faith and true worship of God was uh, was returning to Him in repentance and faith and, and seeking to walk in His ways. Um, you know, obviously, never never perfectly. The temple was there precisely for the return of the people for sacrifice and receiving forgiveness and grace and mercy. Uh, but uh, but along with that, seeking to walk with God in His ways, and that's exactly what they had failed to do uh, time and time and time again. Uh, leading up to uh, the time of Jeremiah and, and the Book of Lamentations. Now, if anyone should have remembered what King Solomon had prayed before the dedication of the temple, it would have been the prophets and the priests. And yet, and we saw this in the Book of Jeremiah, and it remains true in Lamentations, they are the ones that are often singled out as being wicked themselves. And that's where we go in verse 13. So what's going on with the, the sins of the prophets, the iniquities of her priests? Yeah, and oftentimes this uh, this sin and iniquity was precisely you know doing the the opposite of what they should have done, not speaking God's will, but speaking in direct uh, contradicted to contradiction to God's word and His will, both uh, uh, both through the law of Moses and through the mouths of true prophets like Jeremiah and others uh, of of the day. Um, God's call to His prophets, His priests, His, his mouthpieces of all times, you know, even right down to. Uh, 
uh, to his pastors today is not to speak uh, uh, what the people want to hear or what they think will uh, kind of smooth things over, but to speak God's word, to speak his uh, will, to uh, speak what uh, God is is actually saying to people. Um, Yes, that includes uh, the gospel, the beautiful gospel at many times, but it also includes uh, law and what God wants to be done and um, you know what uh, what God's warnings are should uh, should His word uh, not be believed or followed, uh, and so you know Jeremiah many times uh, you know had had called out to the prophets to uh, stop their, their lying ways. He called out to the people uh, to uh, to not listen to them because they they're only they're only telling you uh, what you want to hear. He said things like in Jeremiah twenty three, they say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. I didn't send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. If they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people they would have turned from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Uh, there are times when God's, God's uh, prophets, priests, uh, pastors uh, these days need to call out evil and to uh, speak uh, uh, speak warnings against evil. Uh, and uh, that's not always going to uh, feel good. It's not always going to uh, speak uh, sweet things to our hearts, uh, but it will be what God uh, needs us to hear so that he can ultimately do his proper work of raising us up. Uh, to uh, again, once again, do faith and uh, the way of righteousness in His name. Mm. Is that failure to proclaim the word of God truly as as He would have had it proclaimed, which Jeremiah did? Is that failure what's behind this shedding of the blood of the righteous that's mentioned there in verse thirteen? Uh, I think that's part of it. Um, there's uh, uh, you know, they, God's going to hold them accountable for. Um, you know, the in some ways, uh, God holds accountable the leaders of of the faith uh, for if they are misteaching, if they are, uh, you know, misusing God's word. Um, in some ways, God God holds them accountable for uh, the lack of faith or for people who uh, right rightly trust in in their their leaders, their spiritual leaders. If their spiritual leaders are leading them astray, uh, God's going to hold those leaders accountable. Um, you know, even while that that falls upon uh, the people themselves. Uh, so, so God lays, you know, gives them a, a big share, if you will, of the blame for this destruction and bloodshed that is coming upon the whole city and all the people, uh, because they did not lead the people into the true faith in God as He looked for. Uh, at the same time, uh, these false prophets uh, and priests and unfaithful kings um, had at times also conspired to literally kill and uh, and did kill prophets like uh, Jeremiah and uh, Uriah, as we read about in Jeremiah 26. So um, there's also uh, a literal shedding of blood uh, that these uh, these prophets and priests have done. Now, in the in, as the verses continue, there it says they wandered blind through the streets. I'm, I'm assuming that the they there continues to be the prophets and the priests, and and what's perhaps a bit ironic, or maybe I don't know if poetic justice is a way to think about it. You get language that's you know they were defiled, and language that begins to speak of uncleanness, which for the priests in particular, I think would have been a very abiding thing that that those who dealt in matters of clean and unclean are now being treated as unclean because that's what they are. And we've got some, I think, references into some of that that priestly code, you know, when it comes to leprosy and other cleanliness that that becomes referenced there in 14 and 15. Help us into those verses. 
Uh, yeah, so in, in Leviticus 13, we uh, hear this cry and this uh, kind of the way people are supposed to approach or keep their distance from uh, leprous uh, people. Those who have the disease of leprosy are, are to wear torn clothes and let their hair hang loose uh, and cry out. You know, the, the people with leprosy are to cry out, uh, unclean, unclean, kind of as a warning to the people to uh, uh, to stay away from them. And and yet here here the people are crying out uh, to the uh, to the priests uh, that uh, uh, that they are unclean. Kind of as a, crying out to the priests, kind of as a, this image of a warning to the others. You know, stay away, stay away. Don't uh, don't touch them. And and they said irony or poetic justice that uh, both in uh, these priests who you know should have been. Uh, very concerned with um, not you know ritual, but uh, have a b- biblical and godly uh, cleanliness are now those who have become the most unclean. Uh, those on whose word um, all the people would have would have held are now you know pushing them, uh, pushing them away. Uh, those who you know would have wandered, uh, uh, you know, receiving great honor and uh, um, acclaim through the streets uh, with people uh, uh, surrounding them. Now they're. Uh, kind of wandering around blind through the streets, and uh, and no one's uh, coming near them. Um, and, and even among the nations, uh, right? Verse 15, they become fugitives and wanderers. People said, among the nations, they'll stay with us uh, no longer. And, and all this as well is, is wrapped up in, in the warnings and curses uh, from Deuteronomy uh, 28, and, and is reflecting here at the here at the end of uh, what God had warned about, uh, reflecting what he uh, warned would come. Uh, he says, the Lord will scatter you among all peoples, and there you shall serve other gods. Uh, and among those nations, you shall find no respite. There shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you night and day. You shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. So this is wandering, this being scattered, um, God not having regard uh, for them, being fugitives and wanderers, um, is is exactly what God has uh, said would happen uh, uh, when uh, when exile would come upon His people. And then again, you have in verse sixteen that theme that we started with: that what has happened is not simply a matter of political chance or simply a historical accident. That the Babylonians happened to be in power at the time, and so they came through and wiped out Jerusalem. This was the Lord's doing in verse 16. He's scattered them. To reference there in Deuteronomy, he's fulfilling the promise that he made there in Deuteronomy, and that's what's happened. This is the Lord's doing, made plain again there in verse 16. Yes, yeah, it's it's the Lord himself, uh, literally the face of the Lord, his his angry uh, look upon his people. He's not looking on them graciously. They, you know, they they maybe trusted in their positions as, you know, priests and uh, um, elders among the people, um, which normally require honor and favor from those, um, but... uh, um, but no, no such honor or favor was showed from the Lord. They had completely um, you know, shirked their responsibilities, uh, uh, not fulfilled their right and proper duties within uh, within those offices. So the, the Lord himself um, is the one who brings uh, the judgment upon them. Mm, yeah, and that's what we're seeing here in the Book of Lamentations, particularly here in Chapter 4, and we're going to keep looking at that on the other side of the break. You are listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Lamentations 4 with Pastor Joel Hawk. We will be right back. Please.
Here is what our listeners are saying about KFUO Radio. Hello there, uh, from Scottville, Michigan. We appreciate having KFUO streaming into our home. The programs on KFUO have really built up our faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you to all the staff for continuing to bring the good news to all the world. We will continue to keep you in our prayers. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Worldwide KFUO. Wednesday on Issues Etc. We'll continue our series on the book of Proverbs with Pastor Jonathan Fisk. It's media coverage of religion with Terry Mattingly. And on Thursday, we'll discuss stewardship with Pastors Heath Curtis and Nathan Metter. Issues Etc. Live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. In 1924, by the grace of God, KFUO began broadcasting the good news of Christ for you. A long part of this history is bringing you worship services to hear and receive the good gifts of God in His words. This Sunday morning, join us for services from Trinity Lutheran Church in Jefferson City at 8 a.m. and Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Chesterfield at 10.30, as well as Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere at 9.30. Hear Christ for you in Sunday morning services on KFUO. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, August 25th. We're studying Lamentations 4, verses 12 to 22 with Pastor Joel Hawk of Trinity Lutheran Church in Rochester, Minnesota. Pastor Hawk, prior to the break, we were looking at the first couple of verses of our section, about 12 through 16, and we skipped over one phrase that I think is, is pretty loaded, particularly when we think about it in the context of, of all of Scripture. In verse 13, the prophets, the priests, are those who are shedding in Jerusalem the blood of the righteous. And we, we talked about the ways that they were doing that quite literally, but that, that phrase, the blood of the righteous, and, and in context of some of the other things that are mentioned here in Lamentations 4, there's there's a pretty big theme there in the scripture that we can look at that I think is going to connect us to Christ. Can you help us into that? Yes, yes. Jesus himself picked up this exact phrase um, in Matthew 23 when he's uh, once again um, accusing the religious leaders of Israel and Judah, um, you know, and though in his days it was uh, directly against the Pharisees um, in Matthew 23. Uh, but uh, in, in that chapter, in those verses, uh, Jesus himself says, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Uh, truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Uh, so once again, in, in Jesus' own time in ministry, he says another disaster is coming. Uh, in context, in historical context, we would understand he's looking ahead to the, the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans um, around 70 A.D., 
Um, and so once more, tragically and painfully, those who should have pointed the people uh, to the true worship and faith of God um, in the temple, and with, with Christ we uh, understand himself to be the temple, the place of God's uh, name and presence um, on earth, and they should have been pointing the people to him, and yet they were in the process of um, directly rejecting him, and uh, ultimately in Matthew 23, very close to uh, fulfilling their desire to to put him to death. So they stand, they stand in a uh, tragic and painful history of uh, the, the religious leaders of, of the people, and on, on them will fall kind of the, uh, the last and greatest example of this, uh, of this shedding of innocent blood, of the righteous blood, um, that, that connects us, uh, and it already does in Lamentations, but as Jesus uh, puts it clearly, connects us all the way back to, uh, to Cain and Abel as well. Um, remembering that uh, that this righteous blood um, calls out for uh, justice or or vengeance, uh, and and Cain Cain gets that that justice as a fugitive and wanderer. Uh, so it's a it's an interesting connection back to Lamentations four when that's what happens to these priests and prophets. They become uh, fugitives and wanderers according to Lamentations uh, four fifteen. And so by uh, again in Jesus' day, this uh, this righteous blood will come upon the people, um, especially the the Pharisees and those who have uh, uh, followed astray after them uh, with the destruction of Jerusalem once more. Um, and this time, you know, yeah, we have a city of Jerusalem today, but uh, at that time it seemed you know for for good, <laughs> kind of a, the final destruction of of God's work there. Now, so that's the one end of what Jesus gives, the blood of righteous Abel. And then the opposite end is Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. What's, take us to that other end of the spectrum Jesus gives us. Uh, yeah, so that's um, it's actually one of the um, harder interpretive uh, moves uh, in, in the scriptures. Uh, you, we, we can understand it in, in a couple of, of ways. Um, Zechariah, um, the priest, is recorded in Second Chronicles 24 as being kind of the last recorded murder of an innocent, um, especially if it, the Old Testament, as put together in the Hebrew Bible, um, ends with Second Chronicles. Uh, then, then we have this this kind of bookend from uh, from Cain to Zechariah as this, this last murder there. Um, but but on, on his end, the problem is he's not named as uh, you know, Berechiah. Is, is, that name isn't associated with uh, Zechariah in Second Chronicles 24. If we consider Zechariah the prophet, who does have the name uh, Berechiah associated with him in uh, the book of Zechariah, uh, there's no actual history or biblical record of his being uh, one of these prophets that Lane. Uh, so, so most interpreters, and I think it's helpful and fair, uh, you know, slide into or believe that this is probably you know the Zechariah of Second Chronicles 24, um, especially because by Jesus' day there seems to be quite a tradition of connecting Cain and this Zechariah from Second Chronicles 24, who was, um, and here's the historical help in Second Chronicles 24, he was, as Jesus mentioned, uh, murdered within the temple, uh, the temple area. Um, and as Jesus says, you know, between the sanctuary um, and the altar. Um, again, this, this obvious shedding of blood by the religious leaders of the day, uh, by the kings and priests and prophets, and, and those who should have led uh, people in the true worship and fear of God, uh, were doing you know, the exact opposite uh, in, in murdering those who were um, truly there to, uh, to speak God's word to them. So this righteous blood, this innocent blood that we're talking about here, in, not only in Lamentations 4, but in the Scriptures, Jesus says that's going to come upon this generation. I mean, what's, 
so not just Abel, not just Zachariah, but all of it. That's kind of, I mean, it kind of works out nice in English. It's literally from A to Z. All of that is now going to come upon this generation. How, what's, I mean, what's Jesus getting at? How's that going to connect us to, to this passage in Lamentations? And ultimately, I think, how's this going to give us some, some gospel here? Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the shedding of innocent blood uh, brings disaster, brings judgment. Uh, um, Jesus, you know, Jesus fulfills and is the true uh, prophet. He is uh, the true, you know, is the truly innocent one. Uh, so, so in him is is wrapped up all of this, uh, if you will, righteous and and innocent blood. Um, and so, uh, so as they reject uh, reject God Himself in their midst, and you know. Uh, miraculously shed uh, shed God's blood. Uh, I think we can say with with uh, Jesus uh, being the incarnate uh, Son of God. Um, you know this this final disaster and destruction will come upon Jerusalem and the temple um, because they're shedding again the only truly and perfectly um, innocent blood. Yes, uh, you know Abel and, and Zechariah and all the other prophets uh, were righteous in God's sight through faith, but they weren't uh, perfect in and of themselves. Jesus Himself was truly and perfectly. Um, innocent, uh, and then uh, then in a, a miraculous way that God God works, kind of the upside down, ironic sort of way, um, as they do this shedding of His true and perfect innocent blood, um, and as that is sprinkled on others who are guilty, as that sprinkled on others who are unrighteous, and they receive it in faith, uh, then they become innocent and righteous uh, in God's sight. So God uh, once once again works through. Uh, the, uh, the the misdeeds of of people uh, to bring about uh, what he truly wants to accomplish, which is the, the salvation of all and the shedding of the innocent blood of Jesus. I mean, this conversation I can't help but think of. I think it's in Matthew's Gospel where Pontius Pilate washes his hands in front of the crowd to say he's innocent of this man's blood, and then the crowd shouts, "You know, let his blood be upon us and our children." And and they're saying, I think in their own minds, they mean we're willing to take the guilt. Right? Pontius Pilate, you don't have to take the guilt. We'll take it upon ourselves. We'll accept responsibility for the death of this man. And yet that cry, you know, let his blood be upon us and our children, is so loaded and, and quite ironic because ultimately that's precisely what Jesus has come to do, is to shed his righteous, innocent blood so that it would be upon us and our children in for forgiveness. They certainly are, I mean, they're asking for it in the sense of guilt, which is terribly tragic and painful to hear. But to know that that's what Jesus has come to do is to shed that innocent, righteous blood of his, and then to, to make us righteous and innocent in God's sight. I mean, what a... Again, what I mean, it's it's a it's a crazy turn of events. It's not something that that our human wisdom would have expected. But what what a fantastic gift of God's grace that that He allows all of this unrighteousness to come upon Him, precisely so that He can put His righteousness upon us. It's just a I mean, I I can't help but but watch this play out through the scriptures and just marvel at the way God has worked for our salvation. Yes, indeed. Yeah, he, he graciously brings uh, restoration out of destruction. He, he graciously brings uh, justification out of uh, um, injustice and uh, righteousness for us, uh, even in unrighteous, uh, the unrighteous works and for uh, those who are um, unrighteous and otherwise guilty. Uh, this is the way the way God works time and time again. Uh, so, yeah, our, our human wisdom wouldn't perceive it, but as we search the scriptures and as we see God at work, uh, we, we become um, unsurprised even as we continue to marvel and rejoice at the way God works for us. 
So we have a connection to Christ yet again in the book of Lamentations. Now, as the as the text continues, we left off about verse 16. In verse 17, uh, perhaps a, a slight change in subject or a new focus for us to consider that the people of Judah prior to the, the fall of Jerusalem had looked for help in various places none of them turned out to work. And in verse 17, they talk about, you know, watching for help in vain, particularly from a nation that couldn't save. What What's being talked about there in verse 17? And the, the likely reference uh, there is, uh, as described in Jeremiah 37, that as uh, uh, Babylon was uh, coming to power and, uh, uh, you know, spreading uh, its empire and, you know, the writing seemed on the wall, so to speak, that uh, Jerusalem would be attacked uh, next, and uh, um, that kingdom fall. The, the people looked to uh, looked to Egypt uh, to uh, uh, to help them to be the kind of big brother to kind of come and defend them against Babylon to see if they you know see if that would rescue them. And Babylon was known for its uh, just cruelty and uh, uh, you know, the awful way it treated those who. Uh, who had conquered, and so uh, in, the, in the eyes of the people, and, and certainly the king, uh, you might have said, well, it t- would be better to be a kind of a vassal, a servant state of Egypt than to be conquered by Babylon. Uh, so they, uh, they they called upon Egypt, and Egypt uh, um, did come, uh, but it was short-lived. Uh, Jeremiah 37 uh, records uh, God saying to uh, uh, through Jeremiah, behold, Pharaoh's army that came to help you is about to return to Egypt to its own land, and the Chaldeans shall come back and fight against this city. Uh, they shall capture it and burn it with fire. Uh, thus says the Lord, do not deceive yourselves, saying the Chaldeans will surely go away from us, uh, for they will not go away. Um, so the, the Egyptians and any other uh, earthly strength, just like just like the false words of the prophets and priests, they're only merely human words and desires. Um, also, the other nations around them uh, would not uh, uh, would not help them. And so, because uh, the people looked for help in all the wrong places, um, God says, "Your your end will come upon you. Uh, you you will not be able to escape." This is, I think, one of the classic mistakes, common mistakes for the people of God in the Old Testament is to look to one of the foreign nations around them for some sort of help or aid. It's almost like, you know, I mean, you can trace this throughout the history of, of Israel and Judah both, that it, it seems that the king will sort of stick his finger up into the air to try to test the wind and figure out which of those foreign nations around him has the best shot at winning, throw the lot of the people of God in with them, and they just, they pick wrong every time. I mean, and, and besides that, they shouldn't be doing that. I, I, this verse in Lamentations 4, the, the idea of, you know, watching in vain for this help to come brings to mind the positive side of that from Psalm 121, where the psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so I think that the, a verse like this is a good reminder for us still today not to look for our help finally in any of the powers of this world, but to place our trust in the Lord alone, to see him as our helper in, in all things. Yes. Uh, and not only the, the powers that be, but the, the philosophies and ways of thinking and uh, the, the ways people around us would expect to, to think and act and, and worship, uh, but to, to worship and seek to order our lives and our days uh, according to God's Word, uh, trusting that, uh, uh, that that will not, not only in general 
uh, you know, lead to um, good things in this life. Uh, God does uh, bring out some of those promises, but ultimately that he is leading us on the way to everlasting life. And that is our um, hope and goal and comfort in Christ uh, most uh, securely now uh, for, for, for us as God's people. For, uh, you know, for God also does say in Christ, uh, as you seek to follow him here, you will meet upon trouble and trial. Uh, but uh, but in the end, uh, you will be saved uh, through through your faith in me and clinging to me um, at all times. In verses eighteen and nineteen of of Lamentations four again, it sounds like what's being described there is the ways the way the Babylonians came in and brought about that destruction. Help us into some of that imagery in those next two verses. Yeah, they were uh, they were they were in and out of the city. They 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 moved through Israel easily searching for survivors and inhabitants either to just you know, kill them outright or or take them into exile they, they you know you couldn't you couldn't move into the shadows they, they dogged our steps we couldn't walk in the streets we couldn't go out because uh, they would be um, right there with us but uh, even then um, even if you avoided them for a while the, the end drew near days were numbered and and the end had come there would be uh, no escape it's not like uh, the people could just hunker down somewhere and wait for the Babylonians to leave and then they'd rebuild pretty quickly uh, no this was going to be a uh, total, you know, basically a total wipeout. Yeah, we do read, you know, some, some very few were left at various points, uh, just kind of, you know, be uh, scattered people there. But for the most part, uh, if you stayed in the city, you were going to get uh, captured. If you tried to flee, uh, then they're pictured in verse 19, like the uh, bird of prey, uh, ready and, and ready and perched to, to pick off any who would try to flee to the mountains um, or the, the wilderness. And uh, this uh, this happened, uh, uh, you know, quite uh, uh, dramatically shown for us in, in verse 20 as well. That even uh, even the king, as uh, he tried to flee or or escape, uh, uh, but the end that had come uh, was also captured um, uh, captured by the Babylonians. Well, so you you mentioned the king there in verse 20. We get this phrase, "The Lord's anointed." This is a, a key phrase that our ears should start to perk up when we hear something like that. Uh, take us into to verse 20. That loaded phrase, "The Lord's anointed," and and what's being said there. Yeah, the the loaded phrase, "The Lord's anointed," uh, preceded by kind of a, a curious phrase, "The breath of our nostrils," uh, and that seems to be the idea that that a kingdom's life and its breath uh, depends upon. Um, having a king, uh, that uh, it is the one to bring um, kind of life and stability uh, to to the nation, just as breath does to the body. Uh, now, obviously, Israel's kings, Judah's kings, Jerusalem's kings uh, had uh, had not brought this uh, life and stability, um, especially and especially when they did not realize and recognize that even as God had given the people in Saul a king like the nations around them. God Himself was to still be their true King, their ultimate King. The uh, the earthly kings He gave them were still to recognize um, God's kingship um, over all things, and so to order their lives and their uh, rule and reign according to His word and ways. Uh, because God Himself, you know, is and would be uh, their life and breath. Uh, he would bring them uh, stability and joy. And certainly the, the Lord's anointed, uh, yeah, our ears perk up, and uh, this is a messianic phrase. Uh, and, uh, you know, certainly the, there were unfaithful kings in the Old Testament who were you know, still the Lord's anointed in, in one sense, but uh, but ultimately this points us to, to Jesus, the one uh, uh, anointed by the, the Spirit and uh, um, sent by God to uh, 
uh, to be our Messiah, the, the Son of God, uh, to be the one who is our life and breath and uh, stability uh, in, in this world and into eternal life, uh, the one we can uh, rest under uh, his shadows and under the shadow of his wings and uh, live among the nations both now and forever uh, with, uh, um, with him in, in eternity. I mean, the way that this is phrased at verse 20, you know, about the, the Lord's anointed captured and, and we said under his shadow, we would live. I think, you know, I mean, the historical background, the way King Zedekiah meets his end in trying to flee from the city of Jerusalem, being captured by Babylon and, and meeting the horrific end that we've, we've talked about several times about his, his eyes being plucked out after he got to watch his own sons killed in front of him. I mean, just that, that certainly fits. But the connection to Jesus here is, as, and this just kind of struck me as we were reading it this morning, I'm reminded in verse uh, verse 20 here of what happens in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus, where those Jesus catches up or he, he walks alongside those two disciples and, and they say, you know, Jesus questions like, well, what's going on? What's happened? And, and they think he's nuts because they can't believe he hasn't heard. And, and they say to him, you know, we had hoped that this Jesus was going to be the one. And, and you get that same sense here that in the, in, in Lamentations that, you know, we, when we lost King Zedekiah, when we thought that it was under his shadow, we'd live among the nations. And of course, King Zedekiah, his name meaning the Lord is our righteousness, he never was that, and not historically and certainly not theologically. He, he never was that. And yet Jesus, he is. And, and it's precisely through that death that he experienced that he has earned our salvation. And then resurrection does come on the third day, which I think, I mean, you know, just putting that event of what Jesus does over these last few verses of Lamentations, again, I think is another picture of Christ here in Lamentations, that, that you know, according to human wisdom in verse 20, the crucifixion of Jesus looks like defeat, and yet it's ultimately victory. And, and the Lord shows that forth by the resurrection on the third day, which I, I think you can definitely see in verses 20 and 22. And it's just, I, I think it's, it's, again, wonderful to see how the Lord, even in a book like Lamentations, is giving a, a picture of, of our Lord Jesus Christ and what he's what he's done for us as well. I mean, so just in this conversation, that that's kind of coming out for me here, uh, Pastor Hawk. Let's let's go into verses 21 and 22. Feel free to respond to any of that as well, but but begin to take us into 21 and 22, because we do have, once again in Lamentations, a bit of a, a shift in tone. It happens rather suddenly, and now we get a little bit more hopeful as this fourth poem ends. And we get we get hopeful. We we get um, you know, some some ir- some irony here. Uh, um, he, uh, um, he calls to the daughter of Edom and, and the land of Uz to rejoice and, and be glad. Um, but the, that that joy shall be short lived. Uh, Edom was a uh, you know traditional uh, enemy or thorn in the side of the flesh, if you will, of of Judah and Jerusalem. There, um, always uh, feeling uh, um, second class uh, in their shadow and. Uh, um, then re- rejoicing when uh, difficult times uh, came upon them. So uh, Jeremiah, you know, here in Lamentations tells them, you know, okay, go ahead. This destruction will come as you have always desired, uh, but you're not going to escape uh, the wrath of the Babylonians either. Uh, your joy is going to be short-lived, and uh, your own destruction is going to, and your own shame um, are going to come uh, soon enough. You, the, the cup, the cup of this wrathful army, uh, shall pass. Uh, even God's wrath upon Edom's unbelief and 
and sin. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare, images of just you know, shame and disgrace um, among the people as well. Um, but uh, combined with that, then, you know, in verse 22 is this, uh, yeah, this, this turn to um, hope, as often in Lamentations and the Psalms, uh, these laments, uh, turn to a new and hopeful confidence, not as a wishful thinking or a, or a hopeful dream, but grounded in uh, still a firm conviction of God's covenant promises, uh, which won't be broken, even when it all seems hopeless. Um, as we kind of started off today, saying we can hold God to his promises. Um, and he had, he had said um, exile would, would come, but always in that context, he had said, as people turn to me again in repentance and faith, um, I will restore them once more um, to to the land. And so this, these little verses here reflect Isaiah's declaration of post-exile hope. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord, uh, Lord's hand double uh, for all her sins. Uh, and so there's this promise here at the uh, the end in verse 22 is that the punishment of iniquity will be accomplished, exile will be uh, no longer, restoration would happen. And then um, this uh, this idea that um, the daughter of Edom's uh, iniquity will be punished and the sins uncovered, uh, we want to think uh, uh, in terms of Psalm 32, verse 1, and where we read, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Uh, forgiveness is pictured as, you know, as God covering over sin and uh, to, to go to and see Christ's work once more, uh, we say the blood of Jesus covers over all our sins. If we consider our sins uh, presented before God, uh, Christ's blood covers over them. Uh, but when we continue to, you know, there's the, there's the warning here of reject, continued rejection of God and his work and his ways for us in Christ. Uh, we'll leave our sins uncovered uh, before uh, before God, um, now and on the last day. Um, there's baptismal imagery um, here as well, that our sins are washed away and we're covered in the robe of Christ's righteousness uh, that, uh, that covers our sins in that way. Um, again, so in, in this in this picture and in this way of, of thinking of forgiveness, um, having our sins covered is uh, is the hope of God's people. Having sins uncovered is uh, be, to have them stand before God and still bring his righteous judgment upon us. Now, this mention of Edom here at the end, I mean, certainly recalls some of the passages we looked at in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 49 comes to mind, and the, the book of Obadiah echoes very similarly the judgment that comes upon Edom. As a reminder that the judgment that was received by Judah and Jerusalem is the judgment that the Lord brings upon all mankind, regardless of, of what, where you live. This is a the judgment that everyone is held to, This this matter of do you trust in the Lord for salvation? And a reminder here for for Edom in particular that you know they don't get off somehow with a free pass because they're not Jude and Jerusalem. They too will be held to the the same judgment. And as those who've set themselves as enemies of the Lord, then as you said, you know the judgment comes upon their sins remain uncovered, and and so they are held liable for them. Ultimately, a call to repentance to every nation here, just as we've been seeing for the people of Judah and Jerusalem, that as the salvation comes, that judgment is still there. And so it's a call to, for everyone to repent, to turn to the Lord, to seek forgiveness and salvation in him. Pastor Hawk, we have about two minutes left on the morning. Reflecting on this section of Lamentations 4, help us to, to summarize, draw things together, and again, help us to see our Savior Jesus Christ in this text. 
I think here in Lamentations 4, how our Lord wants to draw us to um, true faith and trust in Him and His promises, uh, when and where He will be found. He's given us uh, great gifts and great blessings uh, to to find Him, to hear Him, to receive Him uh, here. And He wants us to, to do that in a true heart and true faith, uh, receiving His promises um, for us, um, being warned that uh, if we look to uh, to anyone or anything else, or we presume upon um, his mercy and grace that uh, um, that that there will be um, consequences and, and judgment, perhaps. But that ultimately in Christ, our iniquities are covered. Um, he uh, he punishes uh, uh, Christ on the cross in our place and uh, gives us uh, the freedom and uh, um, brings us back to return to Himself in uh, in that faith and fear of His name. Pastor Joel Hawk is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Rochester, Minnesota, helping us today with Lamentations chapter 4, verses 12 to 22. Pastor Hawk, thanks for being our guest today. Good to be with you again. No one thought that it would happen. No, even the kings of the earth, the people of Jerusalem, they didn't think that Jerusalem could be destroyed. Despite what Jeremiah had told them, they presumed upon God, and the Lord showed them that he is God, that he chooses where he dwells, but people can't presume upon him. We are able to hold God to his promises. We should cling to those promises, not presuming upon him, but in true faith, trusting that he is God over all. And when his judgment falls upon us, to turn to him, to look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has taken the judgment upon himself as the Lord's anointed was given into death for our sins and was raised for our justification that in him the punishment that we deserve is not ours but we have life and salvation I'm your host here on Sharper Iron Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas the series on Lamentations is coming to an end we're going to pick up some minor prophets here Obadiah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah if you have any questions on those books please send an email to KFUO at KFUO.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.